Welcome to the Runner's Roundtable podcast. Season three is all about the how-tos of running. And in this episode, I'm talking to coach Nicole DeSena about Orange Theory and how to add this group workout to your running life so that you can run stronger and with more awareness of how it feels to run strong. Enjoy this episode and thanks for listening. Welcome everyone to another episode of Runner's Roundtable. Season three is all about the how-tos of running. And I'm so excited because I have Nicole joining me today and we're going to talk all about Orange Theory, what it is, how to incorporate it into running and yeah, how to stay curious. Part of my excitement of exploring these different movement modalities is inviting in a sense of curiosity with different ways that we can move our body. I know that I get pretty rigid with the things that I like to do. So I'm always curious to hear how people are able to combine running with different movement modalities. But before we get to the questions I have in specific, Nicole, tell us about yourself. Tell us a little bit about your running story and just how you got to be where you are right now. Of course. Yeah. So um, I'm Nicole. Thanks for having me first off. Um, so I am currently an Orange Theory coach and a running coach on the side. So I do a little bit of both, but try to kind of incorporate the two together. I mean, they do go hand in hand for the most part. So I started um, doing Orange Theory classes probably in like 2017. And then I became a coach when I moved up here to Jersey City um, in 2019, actually. So got my certification, CPT certified personal trainer um, and started coaching classes and had been kind of running on the side, just kind of more for my own hobby and doing um, marathons as a hobby. <laughs> uh, my dad got me into running. So he has done 11 marathons and kind of just like got that in the back of my mind is like, this is a bucket list thing. I want to do it, you know, before I'm 30. And then um, I found myself sign up for the first race for Chicago when I was 19. Um, so kind of just like grew into the sport and grew into just loving running and the community that comes with it and all of the things that you get into when you train and run a marathon. And it just like got me hooked. And I was like, I'm screwed now. Like now it's over. So, um, did eight marathon. This will be my eighth marathon, um, New York city this year. So kind of got into that. And then I just decided, you know, I want to like share this with other people. I want to share my love for running and marathons with other people. And I want to get my certification as a running coach. So I've been doing that for a few years now as well. And um, a lot of clients that come to me kind of want to incorporate orange theory with running, with training for a race. Is it able, is it doable? Is it too much? Is it like too little? Is this like something that I can actually incorporate with training or is that going to be something that's totally different? Um, so I've kind of like over time without realizing kind of figured out how to merge the two and um, it is definitely beneficial. So that's what I'm here for running coach orange theory for sure. That's so interesting to me because you've been running a lot longer than you've been doing orange theory, right? So if I understand the timeline running longer than you've been doing orange theory, but orange theory a little bit longer than you've been doing formal run coaching but right. even in the orange theory, you are coaching people in the orange theory. I feel so old in the internet. When you're do <laughs> when you're coaching your orange theory classes, you are coaching people through running segments, right? So Correct. it's not like it's it's anything new. How do you find that the coaching in orange theory is how similar or how different is it than the coaching you do when it's exclusive to run coaching? Yeah. Um, well, it's very similar in the fact that, I mean, Orange Theory uses heart rate monitors using OTB system to track what is going on with your heart rate um, in real time while you're taking class. So a lot of that is seeing like, okay, if you know the verbiage, it's base push and all out, similar to running where it would be conversation pace, hard to hold a conversation pace and like, don't talk to me, I'm sprinting, right? So it's something that you can kind of one, look at your heart rate and see like what's happening. If you take an orange to class, you know, before like, 
in regards to your heart rate and what's happening in the class, um, there's different colors that you'll see. And that's very similar to what you'll see outside, just different, like what am I seeing on my watch versus what am I seeing in my face in the class, right? But at the end of the day, it's still the same thing. Your base pace, your green zone, is your conversation pace running in and outside on a treadmill outside? Can I talk to the person next to me? Is this something that I'm able to do for the next 30 plus minutes or is I weigh it on my, out of my comfort zone? Um, and I've learned kind of like different ways to word everything because everybody learns differently. So I've noticed that there's ways that I say things in an orange theory class that might be different versus outside. And then I'll notice, oh, I should bring this into my classes. This is something that people really like, it clicks with them. And it's really just finding the best way to get information across to people. So I think just more than anything, like the verbiage, but at the end of the day, it's all fitness related. It's all the same kind of things that we've been doing for years. And just kind of like checking in on how you feel. Am I able to breathe through this? Am I able to talk to the person next to me? Is it base pace? Is it green on the screen? Is my heart rate where it needs to be, right? It's all the same kind of things, but there's just different ways to check on that. That's so fascinating. I mean, I'll be completely honest. I've never taken an orange theory class. I have, um, in general, I don't do any classes like that because for me, I always, I run that's my thing when any it's here in Miami we have like Barry's boot camp in general yeah. boot camp style classes or classes that I don't go to because I don't like the running component in them because I already do so much running on the side or not on the side right running is, running is for me running is my main sport so I don't I'm not drawn to classes that include running in them because I honestly don't even know how I would work them together and right. I'm also just because for myself I am an older athlete I'm also really concerned about injury prevention and not overdoing anything I don't want to overdo it I'm so I would say very cautious in terms of pushing myself when it comes to doing more cardio. So if you right. have an athlete like me, that's like, nope, all I've ever done is running. Running is my comfort zone. I'm familiar right. with Monday's my speed day and yeah. Tuesday this and all of that. How do you get them to, again, like the, to, for, I always come back to the word curiosity. How do you get yeah. them to be curious about it? Kind of like buy into it. Yeah. yeah. Um, I always say that like the best thing to do, especially if you've been running for a long time, sometimes you get into that zone where you, you just stay in your comfort zone all the time. Right. And change doesn't happen as much in the comfort zone. It happens when you get out of the comfort zone. So I really think it's good for people that have kind of hit a plateau, not necessarily just on their speeds, their paces or anything, but also like just mentally, they're like, okay, I've been running for 20 plus years. I'm kind of like just doing it and going through the motions of it. I find that things like this help to kind of just change the scenery a little bit. And when you go to a class like Orange Theory, you're doing interval training, right? So you're doing 30 seconds here, two minutes here, back and forth. And it goes very quickly to where it's like, it's fast. You're in and out of the class and you don't think about what you're doing so much versus you might be running like six, seven miles outside where you kind of can zone out and just stay at your conversation pace full time and run through that. But I think orange theory gives you a way to where it makes the workout a little more intentional. And so if you're going to add that into, let's say either a training plan or just add that into outdoor running, you say, okay, my speed work day, my tempo day is going to be orange theory. And it gives you a little more of like, I'm going to be intentional and precise with everything I'm doing instead of going through the motions and saying like, Tuesday is my speed day. This is my Thursday's my tempo day. Wednesday's my midweek run, whatever. So you're not always doing the same thing. You're kind of challenging yourself to get out of your comfort zone a little bit more. Um, and I've noticed with myself, just even going into orange there, I'm like, I'm a runner. I'm fine. I'm good, whatever. Um, but there's a lot of speeds on the treadmill that I hadn't tried out before. And I always would stay in my conversation pace and in my comfort zone. This forced me to get out of that and then kind of translate that to outside. So I'll notice like, how am I feeling in class when I'm running on the treadmill at nine, 10 miles per hour versus outside? And what's the difference? What's happening? And like kind of making that connection because it's the same kind of motion. It's just on the treadmill versus outside too. That's fascinating. I'm going to pull us back for a brief moment and ask you, what is orange theory? So 
coming into an orange is it called a studio? Like you come into the studio. Yeah, studio. Yeah. Okay. I'm like, I'm like, I don't know, you know, CrossFit, it's a box. So I mean, I yeah, want to no, make sure. So I want to make <laughs> So um, I'm coming into a CrossFit studio, a CrossFit. See, I like confuse myself. I'm coming into an Orange Theory studio. What is the class structure like? What can I expect out of the experience? How long are the classes? How many people are in the classes? And I feel like from the friends that I know that do Orange Theory, it seems like community is a really big component to it as mm-hmm. well. So what is Orange Theory? Yeah, so I'll go over a couple of different aspects of Orange Theory. So when you first come into a class, what like what to expect your first class, let's say, right? So you could give any studio around a call. You could sign up online, however that works, right? Every class is an hour. Um, we have classes that are 45 minutes that are completely just lifting classes. But for the most part, the standard class is an hour and it fits ma- uh, max 30 people for that standard class, right? There's another class that fits 45, um, but your standard class fits 30 people in a room, most studios, depending on the size of them. Um, So you'll spend about half your time on the treadmill, and then you'll spend half your time between either the rower or the floor, depending on the class style for that day. And then when you go in for your first class, um, the coach will go over like what your fitness goals are, kind of walk you through everything. So you're not blindsided by anything. You kind of know what's going on a little bit beforehand um, and get to know like what brings you into the studio for whatever reason. Right. Um, And when you go in for your first class, they'll set you up with a heart rate monitor. Go wear that either on um, your forearm, your bicep or your wrist. And that will show the coach and you in real time what's happening with your heart rate. Right. Mm. So they'll give you some goals to work towards as you go throughout the class. Um, But for the most part, you'll spend half your time on the tread. And then again, between the rower and the floor. So it's a mix of endurance, strength and power is what they mainly focus on for every single class. So it'll be a variation of the two. So you might have endurance on the tread one day, strength on the weight room floor and power on the rower. The next day might be completely different. So that makes you kind of a well-rounded athlete and you're not just working in one and you're not you know, just going to endurance days and skipping all the rest, right? We want to make sure that you're working a little bit of everything um, as you go through. Now, myself as a trainer, be walking around the studio, cueing the treads for what intervals you're looking out for and letting the uh, the room know what's going on. And then the weight room floor has a screen that shows you exactly what's going on in regards to rep count, in regards to what the exercises look like. And then I'll be walking around checking form, making sure that looks good, increasing weight, decreasing, whatever you need, that kind of stuff. So it's, one-on-one training in a group setting almost. Um, And the community aspect really comes from, I mean, just members taking classes at the same time together, benchmarks together, partner workouts, happy hours outside the studio, things like that. So it's really, um, it's a very fun vibe. And I think it goes, it makes the class go by fast um, because there's so much going on. And the the coolest thing that I think Orange Theory does is um, every studio is consistent across the board. So if I take class here and you take class in Miami, we're going to be doing the same exact class, no matter what. So for example, my mom's actually a member in uh, in North Carolina. I'm here in Jersey City. And if we took class today at the same time or same day, um, we're going to get the same exact workout. So we can talk about the tread block. We can talk about the floor block. So we know that builds community as well. But also if you're going on vacation, you know that you're going to get the same exact experience. You're going to get the same stuff and it's going to be consistent all across the board, all across the, pretty much the world. That is really neat. See, I didn't know that because I feel like, so again, my main movement modality is, is running, running. I mean, hi, hosting this podcast, (laughs) running is my main thing. And the second thing that I do not as frequently at this point in my life is yoga. And that is something that I find totally fascinating whenever I travel taking a yoga class in different cities, it's totally different. It's a totally Mm -hmm. different experience. And it, on the one hand, is kind of exciting because I'm curious as to the yoga culture in different places. But on the other hand, it can be really disappointing when, for instance, something is labeled as a power yoga class and I'm used to power yoga in Miami and I go somewhere and it's happened to me where I take a power class and I'm like, well, that was okay. Like it wasn't right. what I expected. So that is definitely something that's pretty cool. I did not know that about Orange Theory, that it's the same workout every day, no matter where you go, because that yeah. does, 
it builds trust in the brand, right? Like there's that that trust and that consistency. And to the to the question I asked about community, that is pretty cool, especially since so many people are connected across social right. media and you know people not necessarily in your same city, but to have that connection. That is pretty, pretty cool. Thank you for sharing that. Of course. So I'm going to, let's go to scenarios here. I'm someone who comes to your class and I, well, we won't even go into like <laughs> logistics of certain things, but I come to class or I'm someone who does orange theory and I'm like, oh, Nicole is a run coach. I want to train for, uh, let's go with a half marathon. I want to train for a half marathon, but I don't want to stop doing orange theory. Right. What's the conversation that you have with them? And then how do you approach creating a training plan for them that does include orange theory? Right. So I love that. That's actually like my bread and butter. Um, so normally what I'll do is talk them through like what the process is going to go. So let's say you're doing a 12 week training plan for a half marathon. I'll talk them through like what the beginning stages of orange theory are going to look like and how it's going to correlate to your actual running outside. So what I'll do is like, if I'm, for example, like they're going to the class the next day, I'll kind of let them know, this is what I want you to focus on in class in regards to your base, your push and your all out. So the three different speeds that you'll be looking at. Um, and let's say it's inclines that day. I'll say, cool. We actually want to work on your forum on these inclines. This is a great day for you to go. Things like that. That's how the verbiage will start. And normally I'll start walking them through how many times a week I would like them to do orange theory and how many times a week I'd like them to do outside running. Right. Cause it's still cross training, but you're still getting distance on the treadmill. So that's the thing. It's not like you're going in strength training or you're running, you're swimming, you're still getting distance on the treadmill. So we'll have tempo runs. Those are great days for your tempo or sorry, your uh, fartlets or like any sort of speed work, any hill climbs that you want to add in there. It's a really good way to kind and get everything all in one along with strength training mm -hmm. right so you're doing strength training um but it's nothing like so insanely strenuous that you're doing any like power cleans any crazy snatches or anything that's going to be so overbearing that you can't run outside the next day not to say we don't lift heavy at orange theory but it does give you a little more wiggle room um in regards to if you like need a modification for something if you need to just shift something to a different movement ask the coach let him know hey i got a long run tomorrow is do you mind if i change this movement just a little bit things like that um are super super helpful and i kind of correlate that into running outside instead of saying like go take an orange theory class and we'll never talk about it again i say okay remember in this class when we had this one interval and this one strength training exercise i want you to now practice that outside as well um and mm -hmm. that's kind of how we talk about it and normally once you get towards the last couple of weeks of your uh, training plan mileage increases. We start to move toward tape towards tapering and things like that. So I'll start to say, okay, let's ease back on your strength training a little bit. Try not lifting as heavy, trying to pull back on your speeds on your inclines a little bit. So you're rested and recovered going into the race day. So instead of me just saying like every orange theory class, the whole training plan, we're going to do the same intensity. I'll say, no, now we're in the bulk of training where I want you to increase your speeds, things like that. Or we're on taper portion of your training. I want you to pull back on stuff so you're ready to go. So it does kind of go hand in hand and a correlate, but it just depends on how many times a week you want to do orange theory and how many times a week you're able to run outside. And I kind of just shift that based on uh, their schedule, things like that. That's so fascinating because it's you're using orange theory to build awareness of like mm -hmm. running form and running tricks, I guess, for a lack of a better word. So you're yeah. using orange theory to build that awareness, but then you're using the runs outside to practice, like to put that practice into awareness, because like we both know, right, these races aren't ran in a treadmill, they're ran outside. Right. If that's, that's the biggest thing doing. too. <laughs> it's snowing outside. Can I do my run at orange theory? I'm like, um, it might be snowing on race day here. It might be raining on race day. Um, so, but yeah, that is, that is a big difference that I have to be upfront with saying like, just because it's not nice outside doesn't mean you can't you, like, you'll still have to run outside regardless of the weather. And then same thing in the treadmill, it's completely different motions. Yeah. And I feel like it's also just such a different mental, mental. Yeah. That's too. Yeah. You know, I know I can, I can run outside for a while, 
but put me on a treadmill and I feel like a caged animal. Like that's just right. me. I, I'm just like, oh, I start to change as much. <laughs> yeah. I just feel very like caged in, um, in your opinion. So that person who has an orange theory baseline, what do you think is an ideal combination of your orange theory classes and your run outside? Uh, like times a week. Yeah. Yeah. So I usually say around like three is a good number to stick around. Um, it really depends on the person and how many like rest days or active recovery days that they'll need. Um, but I say three is like a good solid baseline to keep. And then at some point, if you have to like drop down to two times a week or like one to two times a week, depending on how often you're running outside and what kind of race you're training for, that plays a big part of it too. Um, but that's kind of usually where I start when I start to build the training plan. And then once we start to go throughout, I'm maybe pull back on OTF a little bit and then continue to do the runs outside. But it really is kind of specific, like case by case. Yeah. Yeah. Of course. I mean, training is so unique and it, and it has to be unique to each person. I was just curious in terms of how you kind of work that in and whether you do in any cases, do you do like a two a day, right? Where the person does OTF in the morning and then they run in the afternoon or maybe they do a run in the morning and then they go to Orange Theory in the afternoon. Does that with some people, is that something that you would recommend or you would encourage them trying or should it be like, here's your Orange Theory day, let that stay Orange Theory and then here's your run day. Yeah. Um, I like to not overdo it, especially just because Orange Theory has like the tread block already. Um, and I, I like to keep that just like moving back to the being intentional with every day of your training. I think that it gets a little blurry sometimes when you add in so much distance like that. Um, but I have had runners do like their long run and then finish out the last couple miles in a class, right? Like run to the studio, go take class right after, but it's not something that I necessarily prescribe to a runner, um, but it has been done. And it's more like, Hey, do you mind if I do this just because it's going to work better with my schedule kind of thing versus like, I want you to run five miles. And then you're kind of like waiting a little bit while you're warming up. Then you have time to go into the, the block or you might start on the floor instead of the treadmill. And then you kind of like prone yourself to injury now because we've cooled down from the run you did outside and then hopped back into it. So it does get a little blurry that in, in that aspect, but it doesn't mean that it's never been done before. Do people have a choice? What part of the class they start in? Yes. So it's usually first come first serve. Um, like you'll walk in and say, I want to treadmill today. I want to get the tread over with, or I want to start in the row or I want to start in the floor today, but it used most studios. It's first come first serve. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So now let's flip it. You have someone who is a runner and they come to you wanting to incorporate orange theory. How is the training different for that person? Like you have someone who's got more experience with the run and little to no experience with orange theory. Does their training plan differ for the same distance, a half marathon? We'll give it. So it's, it's kind of similar. It's just like almost an inverse of everything. So where I'll start to ease in orange theory and then maybe build that through a little bit more in the training plan. Um, And the difference between, or like, I mean, if you're doing like, let's say a marathon, you're training for a marathon, you're doing a long run, let's say it's 10 miles and it's at conversation pace the whole time. Um, you're not used to doing intervals as much, right? You're not used to getting into that anaerobic zone. You're mainly staying in that aerobic zone. So orange theory is beneficial in the fact that it gets you into a different state so that when you come back down to that conversation pace to that aerobic zone, you're like, okay, cool. I missed this a little bit, right? Because it's so different than what I've been doing. So again, I'll kind of ease them into Orange Theory in the beginning and then still try to relate it to outside. So let's say I have a member come in, um, it's their first class and they're a runner. They've been running avidly for for 10 years, right? They do marathons, half marathons, you name it, right? Um, So I'll kind of more compare that to, okay, you know, when you're doing your conversation pace, your aerobic zone, you're maybe like eight, 10 plus miles. This is how it relates to Orange Theory so that you make that connection and it's not separate. Orange Theory and running, we're now merging them together. And okay, this is going to benefit you in the long run because now this is going to help out with your running or vice versa. So that's what I like to say whenever I meet a runner is kind of more like, okay, let's 
we're on the same page here. Let me talk in your terms and then bring it into orange theory. Um, but I think it's very beneficial, especially with speed work, with tempo stuff, with fartleks, with um, hill climbs and all that, that you normally wouldn't force yourself to do as much. Yeah. I mean, I find that fascinating because again, my, my knowledge based on orange theory is very limited. So to hear you speak of it in that way, I'm like, oh, okay, I, I can see, I can see how it would be beneficial. One, because you're kind of killing two birds with one stone in an orange theory class in terms of like the cardio component and then the strength component. Right. Yeah. And that's something that us runners or a good majority of runners don't really spend a lot of time in is right. doing the strength work. So here I'm like, oh, okay, it's two birds with one stone. Yeah. It's an hour. And then you've got that. So when you're building out a training plan, or if you are someone who's running, would you, I guess the question is, what do your runs outside look like when you're doing orange theory, right? So if you have from, from what I'm understanding, the runs that you do in orange theory, there are going to be sprints. They're going to be hill climbs. They're going to be, I guess what we would call like, you know, more quality type workouts. So right. then what are, what are the runs outside? Like, are those just your conversation, easy pace, long run, or are you also doing, um, interval or time or speed based workouts on those runs outside? Right. So we'll kind of switch it. So I usually like to work like back and forth between the days or sorry, the weeks. Um, so if we have like a tempo run and you do, let's say an endurance day at orange theory the week before the next week, I'll have you flip those. So I might do the, um, fart licks and stuff outside instead, do your tempo runs outside and kind of see like, Hey, did it feel the same? Did you notice that like your RP, your rate of perceived exertion in your push at Orange Theory felt exactly the same as the push or your anaerobic zone scale one to 10. It's like a seven out of 10, right? You can, there's different ways to check in on that, but is it happening the same in the studio? And is it happening the same outside the studio as well? So I like to flip them. So you're not just doing tempo runs at Orange Theory. Um, and because we switch between endurance strength and power, you're always getting a mix of that. And then outside we're kind of matching it. And I like to keep the conversation the same. So when I say, do you remember when we did this day at Orange Theory? How did it feel outside now that we did something similar? So if it's a two minute push into a one minute base on the tread and we go outside and I say, I want hard to hold conversation pace and I want you back down your conversation pace. Did it feel the same? Did you get the same heart rate response? Are you not pushing yourself as much as you are outside on the treadmill or vice versa, whatever it is. So it does kind of like make the connection in your mind. Um, when you see the heart rate monitor, like in your face and on the TV screen in the studio versus like, okay, I'm looking at my watch. Yes. But let me actually check in on my breathing scale one to 10. If I had to give Nicole an answer, what is it? Right. Am I able to talk to the person next to me? Am I not? So they do go hand in hand. Um, and the thing I did want to bring up before this is a lot of runners don't strength train as much as they should or they aren't as knowledgeable about those kind of things. So this gives you that avenue to kind of start to ease into it. But strength training is one of the best things you can do to prevent injury and just build a lot of resistance on your body so that when you go put in a lot of miles, you're ready to go for that. So I think it's a, it's a good mix of it. And because the treadmills are there, the runners feel safe and they feel in their comfort <laughs> zone and they, they can learn a little bit about the strength training too. <laughs> It's so true. It's like, oh, the treadmill, that's the thing I know how to do. Like, we're good with that. Again, out of curiosity, because I've never been to an Orange Theory class, do you know what the workouts are going to be ahead of time? So I'm just thinking of you as the coach building out a training plan. Do you know, like, how do you work that? Yeah. Are, are the workouts or are the days, you can see my brain is trying to formulate the question. I guess it's it's that. How, how do you know what's going to happen in the studio? Say you're, I, I don't know how you, how you do your coaching, but if you're giving people their workouts, their runs, whatever it is, in two-week blocks, do you have that information from Orange Theory of like knowing that, oh, on this day, it's going to be hills. And on this day, it's going to be, the sprints. Do you have that information or is that like yeah. um, day of me going? as a coach? Yes. I'll okay. have the, 
the workouts about a month in advance just to go over them. Okay. Just to be able to coach them better. That's why we get them in advance. Um, members do not know. So members don't know if they're walking into endurance day, strength day, power day, whatever it is. Um, because a lot, I always like to say, I think it's because members would avoid endurance days or avoid hill climbs. If they knew they're going strength day, they'll be like, never mind, I'm just going to take class Tuesday instead. Um, so you walk in not knowing if it's endurance, strength, or power, unless you have a friend that took class at 5 a.m. somewhere else. And then they told you what it is that, and you're going yep. to the PM class, right? Um, but no, members do not know, but I know in advance. And I like, I look at the templates beforehand and kind of, like add that into the training plan, but I don't always do that. I might say like, here's your Tuesday, Friday, that you love going to Orange Theory. I'm going to keep those days for you because that's a priority in your mind, right? One person, one client might come to me and say, I don't care what day I do Orange Theory. I just need you to set on a schedule. Some people want to see Tuesday, Fridays, my Orange Theory days. And then this is my shakeout run day. This is my marathon pace day, right? So it really just depends on the person. That's cool. But also like, if you want to do orange theory and run coaching at the same time, hit up Nicole because she's got inside <laughs> access into that because that does kind of, I mean, for me, it really does inform what I, how I coach people. And then even just how I approach movement myself, where it's like, you know, the, the idea of keep your easy days, easy, your hard days, hard, like right. it, that's such an adage in the running community. Right. So that's why I asked that question. Cause it's like, Oh, how, how do you work it where you do switch off where one week it might, you might do this on a run outside because you're doing this on the run inside. And then the next week you switch it. So it's good to know that at least on your end, as someone who works there, you do have that insight. So that is something that does go into how you're coaching people and right. making sure that they're also not running hard all the time, because that I feel is something that happens to a lot of runners where, mm -hmm. and it's, it's happened to me too. I'm in that phase right now where everything feels hard and I feel like I'm running hard because the temperature is starting to change here and right. I do not do well with the heat. So that's going to lead me into the question I'm about to ask you because running on a treadmill is it is very different than running outside. Are you asking people to, well, you do because you said it, you're asking them to evaluate their perceived effort, right? Mm -hmm. Not so much what is your heart rate saying, like all of this, because again, for me, I'm sure if I'm on a treadmill in a 70 degree room, that's gonna feel a lot better then when I'm running outside and it's 85 degrees plus. So right. how do you help people understand how to evaluate the data from both of those runs when in a treadmill, the indoor environment is a little more controlled. Whereas outside, right. like even to, to what you said earlier, like it might be snowing, you need to go get that run or it might be raining. You're not necessarily dealing with those mother nature conditions outside, yeah. like inside and outside. So how do you help people understand that? Yeah. Or build, so, start to build that connection. Yeah. The first thing that I do when I start training with anybody, if it is somebody that's been running their entire life, I say, I kind of want you to almost like forget about everything you learned for a second. And we're going to kind of bring it back to the basics of your two things, like conversation pace and scale one to 10. How do you feel? Right. So if I say, this is your conversation pace, I want you to keep it a three, four out of 10. And you can always go back to that no matter what. Right. And what I like to compare it to. So let's say you're outside running and you're holding conversation pace, but it's insanely hot outside. So it starts to feel maybe like a six, seven out of 10 because it's hot outside. Right. But if you're inside and you want it the same feeling, you want that six, seven out of 10, what do you do? Increase your speed, right? Or increase your incline or whatever it is that day. So at the end of the day, we're looking for the same feeling, the same heart rate response. If it's like, let's say I'm doing two of the same workouts inside and outside, inside of Orange Theory, outside, and I want the same exact workout, same exact heart rate response, all you have to do is like adjust a couple of variables. So outside, you might have to pull back on your speed but it'll still feel that intense because it's 90 degrees outside. 
or indoors, I feel a little more in control. I can up my speed because I have that control over it. But at the end of the day, am I working in my aerobic zone, in my anaerobic zone? And for orange theory people, am I in my green zone? Am I in my orange zone, my red zone, so on and so forth. So it gives you that baseline of, okay, I can actually, without a watch, without any other sort of equipment, be able to see how I feel and ask myself those questions. And what I like to compare it to on race day is if you're on an incline, and you're going uphill versus a flat road, you can ask yourself how you feel and say, I'm up incline right now. And I actually just shifted from a three, four out of 10 to an eight, nine out of 10. And I'm on mile two of a marathon. So I probably need to pull back on my speed a little bit, right? So this changes the, I'm always looking at my pace and my heart rate and my watch. And I'm always looking at the numbers and I'm never actually checking in on like the best compass that you have is your body. Right. So being able to check in on that instead of just your watch. And I love that because I'm like, sometimes I'm like, Eugene, you need to run naked. You need to run without a watch and just don't worry about that for a second. Right. Um, Cause I think so, so many times we get caught up in the numbers and the data and you go outside in an ego run and you look at your pace and it's not where you want to be, but you did the right distance. You did the correct pacing that you were about to like arrange that you're about to keep. Right. Um, and you're pissed off because you didn't hit the, the speed that you wanted, but you also got no sleep that night before and you worked the entire day. So your body's exhausted and you're not listening to anything that's going on here. You're just looking at the numbers and there's so many different pieces that go into that. And the numbers can only give you like a side of the story. So it's kind of looking at everything as a whole. I know I've got off on like, 12 different tangents, oh, no. but I, 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 like if I could be the emoji with the hearts coming out of her eyes or the, whatever it is, I like can preach this all day. I'm like, please oh. stop about all of your numbers and leave your ego oh. at the door. When you go and that's like, okay. So I'm going to, I'm going to ask you some challenging questions, but first I want to say yes to all of that. I was just like, I, can I just snap, snap, snap again for myself? <laughs> I use myself as, as always the best example because it's my example, but there's, it's like I said, it's getting hot. And yesterday I'm on my run and one, I started later than I normally do. So I normally start my runs at 5.30 AM, but I started at 7 AM. I was under the sun and I know this about myself. I do not do well with heat. I, I just don't respond well to heat. My heart rate goes up immediately. And I kept telling myself, okay, pull back, pull back, pull back, pull back. And when I finished my run, it was, it, I told myself, I'm like, Hey, your ego is not your amigo. When it comes to summer running. Oh yes. I love just go, just go. <laughs> And so I hear everything that you're saying. And I absolutely love it because I find and tell me if you agree with this statement or just what your thoughts are on the statement, right? Because when you're on a treadmill, you can't hide, right? Like, I feel like you really can't hide from the workout. Whereas when people are running, and this is something, it's it's one of my pet peeves. Sorry if anyone who's listening does this. Sorry. But it's one of my pet peeves when people are outside and they're running and then they stop to either chat with people or take a water break or use the bathroom and they stop their watches. And I'm like, no, we, you know, like there's a lot of important information that you're not getting from there. Say you stopped for five minutes. Why'd you stop for five minutes? Or how is your heart responding in those five minutes? Is it coming down? Is it going back up? Whereas when you're on a treadmill and I can only imagine like an orange theory, when you're on that treadmill, there really is no hiding from yourself. Like you gotta be on the treadmill and do the workout because it's in a lot of time, or also you have a coach that's going to be there. That's going to be like, come on, let's go get back on it. <laughs> right. Right. Whereas when you're running outside again, I, I can see it and I've seen people do it where it's like, Oh, their heart rate appears to be low when you mm -hmm. look at the data, but it doesn't, the data isn't necessarily showing you, um, the data isn't necessarily showing you that maybe you took about five breaks on that run and you stopped your watch in all of that. So I, I, again, I come back to like that. I don't even know why I'm bringing this up. That's just my rant of me just assuming that in, in orange theory, people can't hide from the workout or from the effort. Whereas sometimes when they're outside, 
they do try to hide from the workout, from the effort. And I know for yeah. me, like the stopping of the watch is something that that one really gets to me because guess what you can't do on race day? You can't stop your exactly. watch. The I mean, keeps going you on can't. race day. Yeah, yeah. I, like you can, you can stop it, right? But your finish line time is going to be your finish line time. So yeah. and how that's do a good you- point. It also, it also shows you like how fast you're recovering down if you are in your cool down portion or if you are stopping and walking or stopping and taking a break. I think it is a piece of, again, the ego where you want a certain pace and a certain time. So if I stop at a stoplight for two minutes, I still am going to get the pace that I want. At the end of the day, it doesn't matter you still did exactly what you are like it's just not responding and showing your coach on the watch too yeah that's that's for me so anyone who's coached by me know that I do look at that (laughs) like (laughs) I do look at the on on the final surge platform like you can see I don't know what platform you use for the final surge it's the best thing in the world I love it but you can see on there like run time and elapsed Mm -hmm. time and I'm like people even though you're pausing your watch, I'm still going to see start to finish. I'd rather you just not pause it. I'd rather you just let that watch continue to go versus pausing it to try to get the pace that you think you want to get. That's just for me, again, anyone who's listening to this, I'm sorry if, if that's what you do, if you're, if you're being coached by me and that's what you do, I'm sorry that you do. I'm sorry that I'm saying this, but (laughs) I'm sorry. I'm using an example. Yeah. I'm like, it's just, I'm missing valuable data when that happens. Like, like what we, what you said and what I was talking about is, is that recovery period, right? Because let's assume your heart rate is, oh my God, you're, you're at 160 and then you take a three minute stop break and your heart rate comes all the way down to 135. When you start again, it's going to be 135. We're just missing. I don't even know how to describe what I'm trying to say. Other than there is data that's missing whenever the watch is stopped. And I don't think it mentally helps the athlete either, because again, when you're in race day, stopping your watch doesn't really matter. Like it's not going to help you. If anything, seeing that you've stopped your watch, that's going to give you information as to how to move forward so that you can stop your watch less or, you know, so, all right, I'm going to ask it's also interesting that you say, sorry, um, interesting, that you say, like, I mean, even running outside, that's something I never really like thought of or just verbalized, um, like running on a treadmill at Orange Theory, you're running for 14 to 23 minutes straight without any stops, right? Um, and then if you're running like in the streets of Manhattan, there's so many streets that you're going to have to stop at a stoplight. You're going to have to stop to tie your shoe. You're going to have to stop to do this. And this gives you an avenue to just like zone out and keep going and go through it depending on where you live I know Manhattan's insane to run through um but I agree with you like don't stop your watch keep moving and it's going to be the different terrains that you got to kind of go through with that and mentally and I I feel like it goes back to what you were saying I again I'm making a big generalization I don't like to make generalizations but I'm going to make one here where the stopping of the watch is the ego is the I want my pace to reflect the moving time which right it's going to still reflect that, right? Like, again, there's a moving time, there's there's a run time, there's a walk time. And if you're in Garmin, you see all that. You say you see right. run time, walk time, elapsed time, and standby time. Like, you can see all of that. So for me, it's more, again, it's that life happens while you're running. And in a race, same thing. Life is going to happen as well. And trying to not, I don't want to say you're erasing the time that you're stopping, but just you're losing an opportunity to learn something really valuable about yourself of like, you know, even like a, like a a bathroom break, right? If you stop your watch, guess what? You're not going to rush yourself to move through that bathroom break. You're going to totally chill. Whereas if the watch is still going, you're going to be like, oh snap, let me use the bathroom as quickly as possible and then get back out there which is what you do in a race. Yeah. Like it, it's really what you do in a race. Exactly. You're look. training for race day. <laughs> yeah. It, to me, that's, that's one of my pet peeves. One of my pet peeves that I see that people do often. And um, it's, again, it's that it's, it's your, if you're focused more on effort, then the pace doesn't really matter. If you're focused on the right. effort, then there is room for you to take those breaks. 
because you got to move in a way that has that effort. And I also wanted to highlight something that you said because of Orange Theory, if you're working hard, right? I'm assuming that you're on that treadmill working hard for 14 to 23 minutes. Again, that is really valuable information for you to have of, oh, I can run hard for 23 minutes and not stop. And I can run hard and then continue and do, do something else. So what I do on that treadmill, I can also do outside in the world. Okay. Mm -hmm. Potentially triggering question here. What do you say to people who have the belief that they cannot get faster or stronger by running on a treadmill? They don't say that again, that they can't get faster or stronger by running on a treadmill. Well, first off, the like funny version of me just wants to say like the treadmill goes up to 12 miles per hour at 15% incline. So if you're not running there, then I, <laughs> then you still have room to grow, right? Um, I, I believe it gives you a different, like a different way to find power because you're not just completely pushing off the ground, right? You have to find a rhythm with the treadmill to keep up with it right? And it keeps you consistently at one pace versus running outside where sometimes that might slip up. Sometimes your cadence might go a little bit different, right? You a little bit more control. And I always say to those that are not open-minded about it to get open-minded about it. And that's with anything just as an athlete, as a runner is you have to be open-minded to change and trying it out on the treadmill. And if you still feel like it doesn't work, okay, cool. Set it three times a week. We'll do it twice or once a week. I want you to try it out and I want you to practice it outside as well. So it's really just kind of talking, um, the client, the athlete through that and saying like, okay, you're running at a six minute mile outside. I want less than that on the treadmill because you have a little more control over it. And I want you to find your tempo. And then we're going to practice it here so that outside that six minute mile feels even better. Yeah, because on the treadmill, I mean, the treadmill gives back more than concrete, right? Like there's, there's, yeah. there's a different kind of feedback. Are there any differences in terms of shoes that a person should wear on a treadmill versus running outside? And that's like a more like tactical, practical, practical question. Is there a difference or does it matter? Um, I honestly, I like have, I mean, personally, I like having a little more cushion outside and I like a little bit more lightweight shoe on a treadmill. Um, comparing it to orange theory, I like to keep something with a little bit more of like a minimal, like a lower drop shoe. Um, and for those mm-hmm. that don't know what the drop is, it's the drop from your heel down to your, uh, down to your toes. Right. So like a stiletto is like 36 millimeter. I always say stiletto. <laughs> um, People so get that one quick. If you're, yeah. If you're doing like a deadlift or a squat or something in the weight room floor, you don't want something that's crazy high elevated, right? We want to keep something that's almost a little bit lower to the ground, but usually those shoes are a little bit more lightweight anyways. So I like that for like your berries for your, like, uh, any sort of cross train or something that you're running, but also doing strength training with, that's a little more like hit training type shoe. Um, I like ons for that. That's a, just an example of one that's a little more minimalistic that gives you that power that you want on the treadmill, but it's not so high off the ground. Now you might use maybe a Hoka or a Brooks or something outside with a little more cushion um, to get you for like through the longer distances, but it's almost like comparing it to like a tempo runner or fart like shoe versus like I'm my long distance shoe. Um, and some people, I mean, it's just personal preference. It's what feels best on your feet, on your body. Um, and some people love wearing the high cushion shoe in class. Really? It's just, it's just personal preference. It's like a pair of jeans is what I always say. Like, yeah, I could love is- American. You might hate them. And then you try them on. You're like, nope, these aren't great. Nicole loves them. But this is how my, this is how my feet look. This is how hers. Like it's totally different. But I also appreciate that because it, it is very much so in alignment with how you coach, because you're again, as I, as I recapped what you said earlier, Orange Theory running is to help you build awareness and you're going to build a ton of awareness of your body and what your body is doing when you don't have that much cushion on your feet, right? Like, again, I I find that 
you can't hide. So I'm like, I'm listening to you and I'm like, yes, this, this makes sense as an answer from her, because you're saying, no, no, let's build that awareness. Like let's build that connection to what your body is doing, how your body is feeling. So to me, it just makes so much sense that in your opinion, in your experience, less cushion inside orange theory, more cushioning outside. Because again, when we're thinking about that treadmill, the treadmill is going to return to you in a way that your concrete sidewalk, whatever it is you're running outside will not return to you. So just thinking of like the energy expenditures, I absolutely love that. And again, to me, it just makes so much sense. Like after (laughs) everything you've said, I'm like, oh yeah, that is, that is a really, really, really great way to approach it. But obviously people do what works for you, what feels good for you in your body. It's fine. In your opinion, what are some tips or tricks that people can have in order to feel successful on the treadmill in an Orange Theory class? So I, I mean, personally, I think it really depends on the coach forecasting everything correctly right um and it it also depends on the the athlete and how much experience they have with either just like a hit training class or running in general if i know that it's a 23 minute tread block and we're going to be running the entire time with no walking breaks in between i might pull back on my speed a little bit and me as a coach i'll say you guys have a full 23 minute block where we're going to have 3 minute pushes 1 minute bases in between so i'll know Okay, like stay conservative on your first speed, just like how I would coach somebody through a race. If it's a 5K versus a half marathon, that's going to be completely different, right? So based on the distance, based on the efforts and things like that, I'll let the members know what's coming up. What can you expect in this block and how are you going to set that game plan out, right? So it's the same idea of... um, running outside too. So if I say you have a 5k, this is how I want you to pace it. I want you to negative split it. This is what we're going to do. It's the same idea in the room, but it's almost a little more like, like easily digestible where I'll say, okay, a little conservative on your speed, maybe 0.1 to 0.3 around where you normally are. Right. Okay, cool. We feel better. You feel good. We're 12 minutes into the block. Maybe think about adding on 0.1, which you would do outside as well, which you would say, okay, I feel good. Maybe I'm going to take away five to 10 seconds from my pace right now because I know I can't. It's not the beginning of the race. It's the middle of the race versus the end. Okay, we have a sprint at the very end, guys. Give it, empty your tank, whatever you have. That's it, right? Last 0.1 of your 5K, you should be sprinting completely, right? So it's just making sure that they know what to expect and also giving them like, you should be feeling like this. This is uncomfortable right now. And that's how I want you to feel. So I don't want you to think, oh my gosh, I'm out of control. This is way too much. I need to pull back. I need to adjust. And that's like the best way to teach anybody how to pace themselves. Because I think it's a very hard thing to coach somebody through. Um, I'm like, how do I feel? Let me check in on myself instead of saying like, I need to listen to exactly numbers, black and white, what she says. You're able to do that yourself too over time, which is like the best thing. So yeah. <laughs> I love that. Like I'm just snapping, I'm snapping throughout this episode because that is very much, and I even wrote it down, like you're so focused on feeling because our watches and all that stuff, again, very helpful metrics. It gives you information, but it doesn't paint the entirety of the picture. So I had a few questions. You want a little box. That. Yeah. 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 Listen, it's like a piece, a tiny piece of the puzzle. So mm-hmm. Orange Theory has different heart rate zones. Yes. Right. Yeah. Okay. Are those, how are those zones determined? Is it personal to each individual or? Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So it's personal to each individual. So uh, they actually just changed the algorithm a tiny bit. Um, So normally they put the age and weight into the system that gives you a max heart rate, right? So your max heart rate is here and there's five different heart rate zones that you'll see in the class, right? So they're different colors. There's gray, blue, green, orange, and red. Um, And that's all the way up to your percentage of your max heart rate. So my five zones are going to be different than yours based on our age and all that stuff. Right. Um, So the colors are different based on your beats per minute. So your goal by the end of the class and they orange theory likes to gamify it a little bit um, is to spend 12 minutes in orange or red combined. 
So your goal is to get 12 splat points. And that's actually this symbol right here. So um, your goal is to get 12 splat points by the end. And that means you've spent 12 minutes in orange or red. And that gives you your anaerobic zone much like enough um, and then keeps you also in your aerobic zone as well. So again, it's an easy way to say like, oh, 12 splat points, you get points, you get points. And people love to hear that versus me saying, okay, 84% of your max heart rate. I want at least 12 minutes in that zone. Oh, yeah. They're like, I have no idea what you're talking about. I'm checked out. But when I say points, people love people. Yeah. hundred percent. They click loves it. Um, but 12 minutes is the goal. So a good thing also to see is, you know, when, when you go in for your first class, if you've never taken class before, and this is something so out of your comfort zone, you might get 45 splat points in the first class. Cause this is just, your body's not used to this. Your heart rate is automatically going to get elevated. And then let's say three months down the line, you went for 45 splat points in every class to now you're getting maybe like 12 to 15. I'll come up to you as a coach and say, this is working, right? Your heart rate's coming down. You're getting more conditioned to everything that we're doing in class. So now I want you to up your speeds. Now I want you to lift heavier in the weight room floor. So now instead of like, okay, cool. I lost a lot of weight or whatever your goal is gaining muscle, right? I'm at a plateau now. I want you to still work to increase and get out of your comfort zone. So instead of I'm always like, this is my max. I'm going to make sure that I can break through that. So it does help kind of like hold yourself accountable to increasing your speeds when you get more conditioned, when you get your heart rate down, when you're recovering faster, when you're getting stronger, when your heart's getting healthier, things like that. Um, if that answered a question. Yeah, I was going to say that's, uh, I feel like in running, we talk about a lot about like building your aerobic engine and that's mm -hmm. what it is. It's building your aerobic engine to work more efficiently. And that's what you're doing. I love that. That's That was one of the questions I had because everyone is so different and I can't compare myself to you. Like you can't compare yourself to me in terms of age, weight, and any of that. So I was really curious about that because that was something that I didn't know if they just, I mean, in running, we hear it all the time, right? Oh, 145 beats per minute. That's where you, that's your goal to be at. And I'm like, that's great. But what if you're someone who just naturally has an, an even lower resting heart rate? Or what if you've gone and you've done a VO2 max test and you realize like that 145 number doesn't apply to you. So like right. that there is that bit of personalization there. Yeah. All right. Final few questions here. First one is what's your favorite part about being an orange theory coach? Oh my gosh, so many things. Um I think it's 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 so rewarding to watch members get out of their comfort zone and like see what they're capable of because that's I mean that's what running also is too it's it's the fitness world and getting you to a point where like oh I know I can do something that <laughs> I didn't think I could and it I mean that's like relatable to life too where you go yeah. into it thinking you're like at rock bottom something crazy just happened in your life and you're like I can't do this anymore and you're about to give up and you keep going right I'm here to cheer you on and tell you, yes, you can and sell you on the idea of hundred percent. You can do this. Um, but it's kind of like the head fake over time of like, oh, oh, wow. I really, I really did do this. And I, I didn't think I could, and I got to that point. And I think that's just the most amazing thing to watch. And it's like, I could like tear up talking about it. Um, even though they're just running on the treadmill, I'm like, you're running on the treadmill, but you're also just building a lot of mental strength and grit that you're going to need to get through life. And like teaching other people how to do that is just the best thing in the world. What's your favorite part about being a run coach? Run coach, um, is, is kind of the same idea, actually, um, watching, like watching clients sign up for a race as like a bucket list and finishing the race and realizing like the training was the hard part. And the training was where you learn about yourself and the finish line is on, it's like the head fake. I mean, um, I was watching, um, what is it called air? Yeah. The, the what it was um that just came out and uh there was a quote in there saying the um the illusion is the finish line but the des the actual journey the destination is the finish line the actual work that you put into when you're by yourself and waking up in the morning and doing 18 miles on a saturday when you have a whole day planned and learning about what 
happens in your mind when you feel like you're about to give up and how you're able to talk yourself through that and get through it. And then they get to the finish line. And this is the cherry on top. This, this is your like fun day. You, you did all the hard work, right? So this is, I want you to have fun with it. Um, but it's, it's very cool watching, um, clients come to me after and say like, I can't believe I did that. And I couldn't have done it without you. And I'm like, no, 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 you, you did it. I didn't do that. Was you. The work. I didn't yes. run the miles. Right. I did. Yes. I mean, I miles with you, but, um, you did it. And it's, it's cool to see, um, people come out of it and just think that they're just so much stronger than they are and use that for the rest of their life. It's amazing. So you kind of answered this, but I'm going to ask it either way. <laughs> what is a lesson from orange theory that you have taken into running? And then what is a lesson from your running that you've taken into orange theory? That's a good question. Um, through Orange Theory, really strength training. And um, I mean, when <laughs> I'm going to throw under the bus, but uh, my mom actually started doing Orange Theory before I even was a member. And she said when she started, she was so scared to go into the gym. Like she had no idea what she was doing. She just had no confidence going into the gym um, and just nobody ever taught her. And uh, I think it's a really good place to learn new information, especially if you're uncomfortable in the weight room floor or on the treadmill. It's a good mm -hmm. place to like, there's 45 people in the room. Nobody cares what you're doing. Like you're the only one that cares about what you're doing. Right. Um, yeah. so I think it's a very good environment and I think strength training is amazing for runners. I think it's a very good place to start without overdoing it and still having your treadmill on there if you need to. Um, and then vice versa, I mean, running coaching, it's giving me a lot of cues and being able to, um, get runners to understand information better. Um, cause like saying things over the microphone, I noticed like what works and what doesn't work with people, what makes people understand it and what doesn't. And I noticed like bringing that out into, um, when I'm coaching them through stuff, like how to talk them through a run, how to talk them through a block, because if I wasn't coaching beforehand, I don't think I would have known the best way to do that. And I might, might've just been talking and it made no sense. I want, clients and runners and members to actually like want to hear what I'm saying instead of it's just kind of like you're talking too much I'm zoning out I know kind of like when to say things and how to phrase it and stuff so I think that's what's really helps me coaching wise having the both like best of both worlds it's a great it really does I mean that's it's oftentimes I feel like as runners we don't have the language and that's why we go to coaches so that we can learn the language but even then, again, similar for me, it's not so much like I teach yoga classes and it's great because you really do find out whether your words are clear enough for people to understand what you're asking them to do. And it's so true that that does go into the run coaching that does go into even how I approach my runs of like, am I understanding what I'm trying to do? Do I, yeah. am I, do I need to use different words? Do I need to use more words? Can I use less words? That's a big one for me. Can I use less words to get the same meaning across? So I love that. Right. Um, okay. Final, well, second to final, second to last question here is, and this is a question everyone gets asked this because I'm a very curious person and I love the sport of running so much in your opinion, what can we do to help make running more accessible and inclusive? I think run clubs are the best way to start. Um, I think just it builds community and almost just like me, you're like, oh, we're going to grab a beer after it's, it's very chill. And then you go and you meet people and you start to sign up for races and you start to like do those things when you go into it for a community and you come out, out of it, sign up for a 10 K. Um, I think that's the best way to start. Cause it almost includes anybody, um, where, you know, if you're going into it, you want to get faster, you have that. If you're going into, you want to meet people, you have that too. Um, so I think run clubs are the best way to start. And especially like touch to 5k programs and people that feel like they can't do anything. Cause they're not like, I'm, I'm not at the fitness level yet. It's like, you don't need to be just show up. People yeah. want to say like, I'm not a runner. And I'm like, are you running? You can run right now. Yes, you're a runner. That's all it takes. So I love run clubs. They're great. Yeah, I think they're, they're such a fabulous way to build accountability and to build that community. Okay, yeah. final question is, 
Where can we find you? Where can we follow you? How can we learn more about you and your offerings? And also, do you have anything coming up that we can celebrate you, cheer you on and support you in? Of course. Um, I'm on Instagram. It's uh, Nicole D underscore on the run. Um, so on the run is my LLC, my brand, and uh, that's also the website. So it's www.ontherunnd.com. Um, so either one of those are great ways to message me. You can find my website through my Instagram. You can find my email on there as well. Um, and uh, I set up one-on-one -on -one coaching. I do training plans through Final Surge. So all of that stuff is on my website as well. Um, and I am coming out with a New York City Marathon training plan in the next few days. So that'll be up there as well. Um, and then I have a kind of generic half marathon training plan, full marathon training plan for beginners, for intermediate runners and all that stuff. So that is the best way um, to contact. But if you have questions, want to set up a Zoom call or anything like that, um, I do consultations for free. So more than happy to uh, to chat with you guys. Nicole, thank you so much. Oh, I have New York City Marathon coming up, 2020. Yeah, 2023. Yes, you do. I'm like, wait, That'll you do have that one. coming up. It's <laughs> <laughs> like, what kind of running do I have coming up? I promise I I'm a runner. <laughs> it's no, but I think it's also like one of those things of like, tell me you're a runner without telling me you're a runner. And you just completely forget that you have this big, incredible event coming yeah, up. Yeah, I'm like, oh, I have to change that also. I'm like, okay, cool. <laughs> Yeah, there, there's uh, <laughs> wrapping your mind around that part it hasn't happened yet, but it's it's going there. So I love that you are going to run the race and then also have a special training program for it. So it's it's going to be really cool to see your journey to that race and all the people that you bring along with you. Nicole, thank you so much for enlightening me and giving me so much more information on Orange Theory and how to incorporate it and also just how to have fun with it because I feel like that's also a big part of of how you do things it's like feel it have fun and then like it's okay just let it go let it go right. turn the watch off turn the watch leave off it, leave it at the door <laughs> yeah just leave it at the door all right do you have any final words for us um good luck running have fun enjoy it in any weather conditions <laughs> yeah whatever it is. All right, everyone. Until next time, we'll see you. Bye. I learned so much about Orange Theory in this discussion, and I hope you did too. Like I shared, I normally shy away from classes at places like Orange Theory because of how I view running's place in my life. But Nicole has sparked the flame of curiosity for me. Ultimately, it's about knowing how to incorporate Orange Theory into training, and Nicole gave us lots of pointers for how to do just that. For more on Nicole, give her a follow on Instagram at Nicole D underscore on the run, and check out her website at ontherunnd.com. Have you tried Orange Theory? If so, I would love to hear about your experience and if you've worked it into your training as a runner. You can reach out to me on Instagram at The Cookie Runner or through my website at thecookierunner.net. You can also support this podcast with a rating, review, or a share. Until next time, run happy, run strong, and run true to you.